Well, it was a season of life when we were really poor and really busy. I mean, a great date night was when we splurged and went and got a $5 Little Caesars hot and ready pizza and $1 movie from Redbox. I mean, some of you people can, you know what I'm talking about, right? I was in college. I was playing basketball, working 20 hours a week, volunteering at the local church that we were attending. And Tiffany was working full time, putting me through through college and uh, working on her graduate degree. And it was just, just a busy time. And like I said, we, we didn't have any money. But this year, it was our, our first Valentine's weekend together. And, uh, and I had saved. My, her grandparents gave each of us a $100 bill at Christmas. And I saved that $100 bill for that Valentine's because Tiffany had been, hadn't been able to shop and do some of the things that she desired. And I, I so longed to be able to ver- provide for her, but just wasn't, wasn't happening. So I tried to tee up this first Valentine's like, like none other to make it an unforgettable experience. And and I kind of did that in, in not so awesome of a way. So, so we went to this restaurant, the first restaurant that we went on our first date, made reservations. We strolled down memory lane, had reminisced and all that had taken place from that first date at that restaurant to now as a married couple. And it was awesome. After dinner, we were planning to go see a, a movie and there was some chick flick playing at like the dollar show. And, and that's right, in Springfield, Missouri, we could go to the movie theater for a buck. Like I, I feel like a grandpa as I say that, but it's, it was it's true. And, uh, but, but, but after dinner, we had some time before the movie, and this was my moment. We get into the car, and I'm like, babe, hey, you've been making some great sacrifices for us, and I, I know you haven't, haven't been able to provide some of the things that, that I so long to, uh, but, but I, I saved this $100 bill from Christmas just for you. And so we're going to go to the mall and I want you to go on a shopping spree. And it's, it's not much, but a hundred bucks, you can spend it tonight on whatever you want. And so we went to the mall and, and man, she tried on shoes. She smelled perfume. We looked at purses. We try, she tried on clothes. And, and fellas, to all the singles fellas out there, if you're not married yet, here's a little pro tip. Uh, shopping for ladies is a very different experience than it is for us. Like, like we get a hundred bucks, like we're in and out in like 15 minutes, we grab what we want and we're in the car leaving. For women, it's about the whole experience. It's about seeing things, smelling things, touching things, trying things, and the, and the relationship and the conversation that takes place while doing it. I didn't really understand that at the time. And so I tell Tiffany, I'm like, hey, hey, babe, our movie starts in like 15 minutes and we, you, you need to make a decision here. Like, we, it's time to go. She goes, oh, it's, it's cool. We, we can go. Like, like, this has been great. Thank you so much. Like, this is such a wonderful, if we go to the movies, I'm like, you're not going to buy anything? She's like, no, nah, I think I'm good. Like, thanks. This has been awesome. And I'm trying to, put all these pieces together of this debacle of a shopping spree as we walk to the car from the mall, heading to the movies. And, and so fellas, I, I feel like when I get in the car, I do the logical thing. We went on a shopping spree, you didn't do any shopping, so I think I need my $100 back. And so I say, hey babe, can I, that $100, you didn't buy anything, so I'm gonna need that back. In my mind, that's a very logical reality. In her mind, not so much. It was very offensive. And, uh, 
she begrudgingly gave me the $100 back. We went to the movies and our first Valentine's Day was a crash disaster. Uh, For those of you who are wondering, I did give her the money the next day after I got some wise counsel and uh, and after a very cold night. Um, But unfortunately, I could only give her $87.50 because I broke the $100 bill to pay for the movie and the popcorn and the soda. Uh, So that first Valentine's Day was not was not a smash hit. And uh, now you know Tiffany really is a saint for tolerating me all these years. We're gonna come back to that story in just a few minutes, but, but if you're new, I wanna just say welcome. Welcome to Central, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, it, we're in this study uh, of this, this book of James. In the Bible, there's this book called James, uh, five chapters, and it's practical wisdom for our life. Uh, most scholars believe that the book of James was the first book written uh, in the New Testament. The, the earliest book that was written. And James, he just gives practical wisdom. It's like a Proverbs of the New Testament. We've already, we've already navigated uh, three great sections, three great weeks of this. In week one, we, we talked about how trials and temptations are just a, a normal part of our life. And James gave us some perspective on navigating those trials and temptations. And you can go back online and watch, watch any of these to, to get caught up or to, to be in the loop on where we're at. Uh, the second week, we talked about how James talked to us about how we approach God's word and how we apply it to our lives. And last week, Tiffany uh, gave this, this great message on, on how we are to love one another. We're to love one another the way we love, love ourselves. And today we're tackling this very challenging text. It's a, it's, a, it's a part of scripture that's actually brought a whole lot of controversy and debate Uh, But here's the big idea. If you hear nothing else, hear this, because I think this is what James wants to communicate to us today, and that is this. If you want a faith that works, then you must work your faith. If I want to have a faith that works, like makes a difference in my life, then I need to work my faith. Here's what James says, James chapter two, verses 14 through 26, and it reads this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want want, want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. How awesome is that? You see that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even the Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she offered 
uh, when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them away in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Three types of faith that James lays out for us in those, in those small uh, set of, of verses. Three types of faith. Uh, the two are, are not real positive, and so we're going to just spend a few minutes talking about uh, those types of faith. And then the, the final, we're going to talk about the third type of faith that we all desire, and I just believe that God desires for you to have in your life as well. The first type of faith that James talks to us about is a faith that is, is dead, James 2.17 says this, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it is, it is dead. In this set of scriptures, three times, James uses that phrase, uses that imagery, that faith. If it's not accompanied by actions, it's, it's dead. It's a dead faith. And he illustrates this with, as, as lip service without lifestyle. There's lip service but there is no lifestyle. Let's check it out again in James chapter 2, 14 through 17. It says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? And here, here's the lip service. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and fed, does, but does nothing to help their physical need, what good is is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is, is dead. And that's James's big idea for this teaching. It, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, it is, it is dead. Because it, it doesn't take action on what they, what they, they say they believe. It, it's kind of like this, from a very logical perspective. James is a logical guy, and it's like, like uh, this individual has great knowledge, great insight into physical fitness. They're like a nutritionist. They know every exercise out there for different muscle groups and different, different body parts. Like they could say, oh, based on your body type, I think this is a nutritional plan for you, and this is the exercise plan that you need to take. And we would say, wow, that, that's great. They have a whole lot of knowledge about health, fitness, and nutrition. But just because they have that knowledge, does that make them a very physically fit person? No. And that's what James is saying. He's saying just because they know what to say, just because they know how to articulate it, doesn't mean that they themselves are physically fit because they, there's lip service without action. There's knowledge without application. And if you really, our, our actions just expose what we really, what we really believe. And some people will say like, wow, I think the teaching of James and the, the Bible's teaching from Paul seem to be in contradiction here because after all, aren't we saved by grace through faith? And the answer is a resounding yes, absolutely. And well, then how do we reconcile these two? Well, I, I think James and, and Paul actually taught the exact same thing. Let's look at one of Paul's teachings on this, where we actually find that verse in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, 8 through 10. It says this, here it is. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is, this is not from yourself. This is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast about it. You're like, wow, well, there it is. How are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith, apart from what we do. And I think James would say the same thing, but James would say this, if you have faith, 
It will be evident by what you do. And Paul would actually say the same thing because in his very next breath, we're saved by grace through faith. And he says this in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. So we're not, we're not saved by what we do, but our actions are evidence of what we believe. And James is saying, hey, if you, if you believe it, you're gonna act on it. And the way you identify a faith that's dead is there's great lip service, but there's no change in behavior. It was John Calvin, the great theologian who said this, it's faith alone that justifies, but, but true faith that justifies is never alone. We're gonna take action because at the core of who we are, it's what we believe. And because we believe it, we're gonna act upon it. Many of you know this to be true. Your strongest beliefs will result in your strongest actions. You can just observe your, your week. What did you believe? Well, I believed it was time to eat. Therefore, what did I do? I took action and I, and I ate. You see this repeated throughout many spheres, many aspects of our life. We're always moving in the direction of our strongest beliefs. Uh, so the first type of faith that James points out is a faith that's dead and it's characterized by lip service, not lifestyle. Not too fun. Hang with me. We're getting to the good stuff. Uh, the second faith that he mentions is a faith that is deceived. There is a faith that's deceived. Here, here's what he says in James chapter 2 in verse 19. He says this, you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Check it out, like there is no atheistic demons. The Bible is very clear that, that there is one God. And here's the deal, the, even the enemy, even the devil, even the demons, they know that. But it doesn't leave, lead to a changed, changed life. They're, they're still so full of pride, so full of, of selfish ambition, so full of rebellion, that while they know the truth, they don't align their life to the truth. And therefore, it's a deceived, deceived faith. Oh, a very conservative commentator that I, I read in preparation for this, John MacArthur, he says this, that demons are essentially orthodox in their doctrine, but orthodox doctrine by itself is no proof of saving faith. And some of us, man, we can know all the right things, but, but our, our actions are actually the litmus test for what we truly believe. Here's a couple characteristics of a, of a deceived faith. Here's the first one, uh, knowledge with no change. They have knowledge, but no change. You know, like the, the illustration that James uses, he creates this, this staunch contrast of God and, and demons. And he's like, even the demons believe some of that, but because they don't act on it, it's a deceived faith and it's, it's actually worthless. And I can relate to this. Like I, most of my life, I had knowledge of God. I, when I was in my furthest rebellion, like dealing drugs, living a, a crazy life, I believe that Jesus was the son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. But that belief wasn't finding expression in my life. And therefore it was, it was actually pointing to that I, I, I really wasn't sure that I believed it because I thought these temporary things would bring satisfaction rather than anchoring my life in the word of God. I had knowledge, but I didn't have, 
I didn't have any, any change. But then when I started letting God call the shots, I found out that God, through his word, brings freedom that those temporary things could never, never provide. There is a type of faith that is deceived, and it's a faith that has knowledge with no change. The second is, is no love for God. Here's the deal, like, like most of you know this, like Jesus came, he lived a perfect life. He died a brutal death on the cross. Why? So we could be in relationship with him. And so the question is, how, how is my relationship with Jesus? Am I growing in my love for him? It's kind of like with my wife, Tiffany, you know, we've been married almost uh, 15 years now. It's our 14th year. We're going to celebrate 15 uh, this spring. But, but man, what if on our wedding day, I was like, I love you, babe, better or worse, richer or poor, love you, like you're my girl. But that's the only time I'm gonna tell you that until further notice, you know? Or if it's like, hey, it's, it's Monday and Monday's Tim and Tiffany day. And so I'm gonna talk to you on Monday, but I'm not really gonna talk to you at all or have any kind of relationship with you until it's Monday again. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, crickets. But Monday... Woo, we're on. And unfortunately, some people, some, some well-intentioned churchgoers treat God the same way. And I'm just saying, there is a faith that can be deceived and its, it's, it's, its characteristics are knowledge with no change and no love for Jesus. Let's be people who grow in our love for him. And then third and final is rebellion with no repentance. Rebellion with no repentance. That's exactly the illustration that that James gives, there's these, these demons, like they're far rebellion and they don't even care. They're like, there's no care in the world uh, for that. And some people actually come to me as a pastor and they're like, hey, I, I feel like I've committed the unpardonable sin. Uh, I don't know that God will ever forgive me. And I would just say to them in those moments, and I'd say to some of you, if you question that, if your heart is drawn to God, if you feel a sense of remorse, like, man, what I did was wrong and I I regret that. I, I want to do right. I want to be right by God. Then you haven't committed that unpardonable sin because a, a heart that's full of rebellion and no repentance lives a lifestyle of constant deception, constant sin, living a life far from God's standard and doesn't think a thing about it. So the fact that someone has this inclining, this inclination, this inkling that, that I want to do what's right by God. I think I blew it. I want to come back. Man, they're... That's a, that's a repentant heart that, that wants to turn back and do right by God. So there's, there's a faith that's dead. James talks about that. There's a faith that's deceived, and, and we've talked about that. And then that, there's a faith that is dynamic. And James would spend the rest of this section talking about a dynamic faith. And there's three characteristics that he gives us of a dynamic faith. And the first is this, a, a dynamic faith steps out. A dynamic faith steps out and he uses this guy named Abraham. We read about in verse 20 through 24 and it says this, uh, you foolish person, are, do you want, I, I just love, I just want to pause there. Don't you appreciate James and like how he uses soft gloves here? Like you foolish person. Wow. Thanks, James. Do you need evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Uh, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, kind of like a, a bicycle. Uh, faith without actions is kind of like a one pedal bicycle. Like, like you can do it, like you can, you can try that thing, but like <laughs> it's just not gonna go well. You need two pedals, you need faith and you need 
You need action. His faith and his actions, they were working together and his, his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. What a title. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Because it's easy to speak out, but, but it takes genuine faith to actually step out. And Abraham steps out in one of the most audacious ways. He trusts God so fiercely that he's willing to give up his most precious possession. They give up the, the son of the promise that God promised through your son, Isaac, I will bless you. Now God says, hey, I need Isaac. But Abraham's faith motivates him to step out in spite of all the odds because he believes God's bigger. And if God asked me to do it, God's going to show up in a way that only God can. First Corinthians 440 says this, uh, the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. The kingdom of God, it's not about talk. It's not about lip service. It's about living by God's power. And if you want to see God's power in your life, know this, it's not about talking about it. It's about stepping out. It's about getting out of our comfort zone. And in those moments, God sees your faith is activated and God's power is present. The second aspect of dynamic faith or characteristic of dynamic faith is dynamic faith breaks out. Dynamic faith steps out and dynamic faith, it breaks out. And I struggled for a title here, but breakouts was the best thing I could come up with. But what I'm trying to say is that it breaks cultural molds. Dynamic faith breaks all molds. It, it pulls down all the barriers. It's unbiased and it's impartial. And we see this through the prostitute Rahab is the illustration that James gives. In James 2, 25, it says this, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute? Like you could almost hear the inflection in his voice. Like if you need more evidence, like there's Abraham, he's awesome, but even Rahab the prostitute, like she was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And James, the author here, he's bringing this contrast of Abraham and Rahab, both breaking the mold so they could, could live out this dynamic faith. On one hand, uh, check out this chart. We have Abraham, the patriarch of the Jewish people, like the father of our faith. And then you have Rahab, a known prostitute living in a Gentile nation. You have Abraham called a friend of God. You have Rahab living among the enemies of God. Then you have Abraham, a great leader. You have Rahab, a common citizen. At the, Abraham, at the top of the social order, has great wealth, has great prowess. Like he, he's, a, he's the man. And then you have Rahab, the prostitute, at the bottom of the social order. And James is saying, even Rahab, She's justified by what she does because dynamic faith, it breaks out of all the molds. And that's good news for you. That's good news for me. Because no matter what your past has been, no matter what your present situation looks like, dynamic faith can be activated in our lives right here, right now, today. And finally, dynamic faith works out. 
James tells us that dynamic faith, it works out. And, and here's the thesis. Here's James' big idea in James chapter 2, verse, verse 26. He sums up everything that he's just talked about. And he says this, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I'm sure we can all remember the first time that we ever encountered death. And, it, and there's a reason that James calls upon such drastic, emotional, gut-wrenching imagery here. I, I remember for me, the first time I had an encounter very personally with death uh, was from a man I love, my grandpa. My grandpa is one of my heroes. Uh, my grandpa was a World War II veteran. He was decorated with a purple heart and with great honors from that battle. He was wounded uh, because of a grenade explosion near, nearby him. But my grandpa, man, he, he would take me fishing. He'd take me hunting. Uh, I remember doing life with my grandpa around his property, helping him mow the grass. And he'd always plant a huge garden. We'd like can vegetables each summer and, and just a lot of precious, precious memories and moments had with my grandpa. But my grandpa, he, he died of lung cancer. It's a really awful way to die. But I remember him just like it was yesterday. There in my grandma and grandpa's living room, hospice was involved. He, only a few moments left of his life. And, and I remember being there, watching my hero as he took his last breath. And it was very distinct and very evident to me in that moment that my grandpa had left the room. His body was present, but his spirit was gone. And James, he, he, he invites us to embrace the emotion of that, to, to, to feel the weight of that, that just as the body without the spirit is dead, so my faith, if it's not activated by what I do, is dead as well. So what's the alternative? And I love this passage in Philippians 2, 12, and there's a whole lot of scriptures that I'm, I'm looking at very differently now since we've experienced 2020 and now 2021. But it's Paul and he's writing to this church and he says this, he says, dear friends, as you've always followed my instruction when I was with you and now that I'm away, it is even more important. I just wanna pause there because they experience this separation. Paul is saying like, I remember when we were gathered together in the church. I remember when I was up here and I was teaching you guys how to live out God's word and, and, and become the people that God created you to be. He's like, I remember that and you followed my instruction then, that's awesome. But now we're separated. We can't be together. We're finding creative means of communication. And I wish it wasn't this way, but it is. And because it is, it's even more important now than ever. And listen to me, church, it's more important that you follow the word of God now more than ever because all the eyes of the world are on you. Does your faith make a difference in your life? All of us are facing extreme trials. James talks about that. All of us face extreme temptation. James talks about that. The, the, the church then is experiencing similar situations now. Are we applying the, the word of God to our life? The world's watching you. Are you doing that? 
As we gather together in groups, are we unbiased like Tiffany talked about last week? Or are we still having racial divides and showing prejudice because of wealth, prestige, and social, social status in our, in our small groups like James was talking about? The world's watching. And so while we can't gather in this space that I so wish we would, and I long for the day that we will be able to do it again soon, now more than ever, it's important that you obey the word of God. And here's Paul's instruction to that church then, I think to you and me today, work hard. That's a word that has calloused hands. That's a word that's dripping with sweat. That's a word that, 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 word that requires some action, requires initiative, requires some effort. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. It was Dallas Willard, the great, um, just a great man, just a very spiritual man, very uh, helpful to me in my journey with Jesus and in some spiritual formations. And it was Dallas Willard who said this, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Paul's saying, hey, we're saved by grace through faith, but, but because we've received it, let's work out our salvation. Let's prove it by what we do. James is simply saying, hey, if you want a faith that works, then, then you have to work out your faith because your actions are evidence of what you believe, evidence of what I believe. So I wanna go back to that first Valentine's Day that Tiffany and I had and back to that story. And maybe like, like me, some of you have, have blown it. You've had great intentions, but you blew it, right? Not just in a relationship with your spouse, but, but in our relationship with God. And we, we wanted to do good. We wanted to do a try. And man, I know firsthand when we blow it, it's super discouraging. But just because we blew it doesn't mean that we don't have another opportunity. Just because I blew it that first Valentine's Day, I've had 14 other opportunities to kind of <laughs> do it right. Today's a new day. I can do it right. I need to bring my best. I wanna bring my best. And God wants you to bring your best too. Don't allow any past failures to hold you back from being present with him in the moment. It was my grandma who always told me, Tim, the only person that can do something wrong is someone that's doing something. And so for all of us here in the Central family, maybe we've got some things wrong, but hey, at least you're doing something. Let's be people who do something. Let's be people who take action. Let, let, let's make the decision once and for all, we're gonna be people that follow Jesus and let's allow that decision to begin to make us. Because a faith, if we want a faith that works, then we need a faith that we're going to work on. We need to work out that faith. Remember that dynamic faith, it steps out. Dynamic faith, it breaks out. Dynamic faith works out. Let's pray. Well, God, we, we just receive your word today. We open the door, we say, God, bring your truth on in. And, and for all you watching this today, I just wanna pause in this prayer and invite you to say this prayer along with me just to commit to God that we're gonna be people that take action. God, I'm not just going to know about your word, I'm gonna take action. God, I'm committing to live out your word and allow my faith to shape my lifestyle 
And starting today, I'm gonna apply those words from Paul. I'm gonna work hard to show the results of my salvation in my life, obeying you, God, with deep reverence and fear. Not because I believe I can earn my salvation. I know I'm saved by grace through faith but because I wanna to prove to the world, I wanna show myself my, my true convictions are anchored in you. And I'm gonna model that with what I say, by what I do on a daily basis. In Jesus' name, amen.